This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at area code 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L, 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. Of Domestical Duties by William Gouch, 1622. As read by Leah Domes. The entire book of, of Domestical Duties is available through Stillwater's Revival Books. I'm reading from the Third Treatise of Wise Particular Duties. One of the general heads of this treatise, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands in everything. In the particular declarations of wives' duties, the Apostle noticed two points. One, the duty required. Two, the reason to enforce it. In setting forth the duty, he declareth, one, the matter wherein it consisteth. Two, the manner how it is to be performed. In the matter, we may note, one, the thing required, subjection. Two, the person whom it respecteth, their own husbands. The manner respecteth, one, the quality, to the extent of the subjection. To declare the quality of wives' subjection to their husbands, two rules are set down. One, that it be such a subjection as should be performed to Christ. Two, that it be such a subjection as the church performeth unto Christ. The extent of wives' subjection doth stretch itself very far, even to all things. The reason to enforce all these points is taken from that place of eminency and authority wherein the husband is set above his wife, which is, one, propounded under the metaphor of an head, for the husband is the head of the wife, two, amplified by that resemblance which therein he hath unto Christ, in, in which resemblance two points are noted. One, that the husband, by virtue of his place, carrieth the very image of Christ, even as Christ is the head of the church. Two, that the husband, by virtue of his office, is a protector of his wife, and he is the savior of the body. Two, of a wise subjection in general. The first point to be handled in the treatise of wise particular duties is the general matter of all subjection under which all other particulars are comprised, for it hath as large an extent as that honor which is required in the first commandment being applied to wives. When first the Lord declared unto woman her duty, he set it down under this phrase, 
Thy desire shall be subject to thine husband. Genesis 3.16 Objection. That was a punishment inflicted on her for her transgression? Answer. And a law too for trial of her obedience, which, if it be not observed, her nature will be more depraved and her fault more increased. Besides, we cannot but think that the woman was made before the fall that the man might rule over her. Upon this ground, the prophets and apostles have oft urged the same. Sarah is commended for this, that she was subject to her husband. 1 Peter 3.6 Hereby the Holy Ghost would teach wives that subjection ought to be as salt to season every duty which they perform to their husband. Their every opinion, affection, speech, action, and all that concerns the husband must favor of subjection. Contrary is the disposition of many wives whom ambition hath tainted and corrupted within and without. They cannot endure to hear subjection. They imagine that they are made slaves thereby. But I hope partly by that which hath been before delivered concerning those common duties which man and wife do mutually owe each to other and partly by the particulars which under this general are comprised, but most especially by the duties which the husband in particular oweth to his wife, it will evidently appear that this subjection is no servitude. But were it more than it is, seeing God requires subjection of a wife to her husband, the wife is bound to yield it. And good reason it is that she who first drew man into sin should be now subject to him, left by the like womanish weakness, she fall again. 3. Of an husband's superiority over a wife, to be acknowledged by a wife. The subjection which is required of a wife to her husband implies two things. 1. That she acknowledge her husband to be her superior. Two, that she respect him as her superior. That acknowledgement of the husband's superiority is twofold. One, general of any husband. Two, particular of her own husband. The general is the ground of the particular. For till a wife be informed that a husband, by virtue of his place, is his wife's superior, she will not be persuaded that her own husband is above her or hath any authority over her. First, therefore concerning the general, I will lay down some evident and undeniable proofs to show that an husband is his wife's superior and hath authority over her. The proofs are these following. 1. God of whom the powers that be ordained are hath power to place his image in whom he will and to whom God giveth superiority and authority, the same ought to be acknowledged to be due unto them. But God said of the man to the woman, He shall rule over thee. Genesis 3.16 2. Nature hath placed an eminency in the male over the female, so as where they are linked together in one yoke, it is given by nature that he should govern, she obey. This did the heathen by light of nature observe. 3. The titles and names whereby an husband is set forth do imply a superiority and authority in him, as Lord, 1 Peter 3, 6, Master, 
Esther 1.17, Guide, Proverbs 2.17, Head, 1 Corinthians 11.3, Image and Glory of God, 1 Corinthians 11.7. 4. The persons whom the husband by virtue of his place and whom the wife by virtue of her place represent most evidently prove as much, for an husband representeth Christ and a wife the church. Ephesians 5.23 5. The circumstances noted by the Holy Ghost at the woman's creation imply no less as that she was created after man for man's good and out of man's side. Genesis 2.18 and on. 6. The very attire which nature and custom of all times and places have taught women to put on confirmeth the same as long hair, veils, and other coverings over the head, based on the former argument that the apostle himself used to this very purpose. 1 Corinthians 11, 7 and on. The point then being so clear, wives ought in conscience to acknowledge as much, namely that an husband has superiority and authority over a wife. The acknowledgement hereof is a main and principal duty and a ground of all other duties. Till a wife be fully instructed therein and truly persuaded thereof, no duty can be performed by her as it ought, for subjection hath relation to superiority and authority. The very notation of the word implies as much. How then can subjection be yielded if husbands be not acknowledged superiors? It may be forced, as one king conquered in battle by another, may be compelled to yield homage to the conqueror, but yet because he still think with himself that he is no whit inferior, he will hardly be brought willingly to yield the subject's duty to him, but rather expect a time when he may free himself and take revenge of the conqueror. 4. Of a fond conceit, the husband and wife are equal. Contrary to the forenamed subjection is the opinion of many wives who think themselves every way as good as their husbands and no way inferior to them. The reason whereof seemeth to be that small inequality which is betwixt the husband and the wife for of all the degrees wherein there is any difference betwixt person and person there is the least disparity betwixt man and wife. Though the man be as the head, yet is the woman as the heart, which is the more excellent part of the body next to the head, far more excellent than any other member under the head, and almost equal to the head in many respects, and as necessary as the head. As an evidence that a wife is to man as the heart to the head, she was at her first creation taken out of the side of man, where his heart lieth. And though the woman was at first as a man created out of his side, yet is the man also by the woman. Ever since the first creation, man hath been born and brought forth out of the woman's womb, so as neither the man is without the woman, nor is the woman without the man. He as the wife hath no power of her own body, but the husband, so the husband hath no power of his own body, but the wife. They are also heirs together of the grace of life. Besides, wives are mothers of the same children, whereof their husbands are fathers. For God said to both, Multiply and increase. And mistresses of the same 
servants were of their masters, for Sarah is called mistress. And in many other respects, there is a common equality betwixt husbands and wives, whence many wives gather that in all things there ought to be a mutual equality. But from some particulars, to infer a general is a very weak argument. 1. Doth it follow that because in many things there is a common equality betwixt judges of a cease, judges of peace, and constables of towns, that therefore there is in all things an equality betwixt them? 2. In many things there is not a common equality, for the husband may command his wife, but not she him. 3. Even in those things wherein there is a common equality, there is not an equality. For the husband hath ever even in all things a superiority, as if there be any difference, even in the forenamed instances, the husband must have the stroke, as in giving the name of Rachel's youngest child, where the wife would have one name, the husband another, that name which the husband gave stood. Genesis thirty five eighteen. Though there seemed to be never so little disparity, Yet God, having so expressly appointed subjection, it ought to be acknowledged. And though husband and wife may mutually serve one another through love, yet the apostle suffereth not a woman to rule over the man. 5. Of a wife's acknowledgement of her own husband's superiority. The truth and life of that general acknowledgement of husband's honor consisted in the particular application thereof unto their own proper husbands. The next duty thereof is that wives acknowledge their own husbands, even those to whom by God's providence they are joined in marriage, to be worthy of a husband's honor, and to be their superior. Thus much the apostle intended by that particle of restraint own, which he uses very often. So likewise doth Peter, exhorting wives to be in subjection to their own husbands, and hereunto restraining the commendation of the ancient good wives that they were in subjection to their own husbands. Objection. What if a man of mean place be married to a woman of eminent place, or a servant be married to his mistress, or an aged woman to a youth? Must such a woman acknowledge such a man her superior? Answer, yea, verily, for in giving herself to be his wife and taking him to be her husband, she advanceth him above herself and subjecteth herself unto him. It booteth nothing what either of them were before marriage. By virtue of the matrimonial bond, the husband is made the head of his wife, though the husband were before marriage a very beggar and of mean parentage and the wife very wealthy and of a noble stock. Or though he were her apprentice or bond slave, which also holdeth in the case betwixt an aged woman and a youth, for the scripture hath made no exception in any of those cases. Second objection. But what if a man of lewd and beastly conditions, as a drunkard, a glutton, a profane swaggerer, an impious swearer, and blasphemer be married to a wife sober religious matron, must she account him her superior and worthy of an husband's honor? Answer, surely she must, for the evil quality and disposition of his heart and wife 
does not deprive a man of that civil honor which God has given unto him. Though an husband in regard of evil qualities may carry the image of the devil, yet in regard of his place in office he beareth the image of God. So do magistrates in the commonwealth, ministers in the church, parents and masters in the family, note for our present purpose the exhortation of Peter to Christian wives which had infidel husbands. Be in subjection to them, let your conversation be in fear. If infidels carry not the devil's image, and are not, so long as they are infidels, vassals of Satan, who are? Yet wives must be subject to them, and fear them. 6. Of wives denying honor to their own husbands. Contrary thereunto is a very perverse disposition in some wives who think they could better subject themselves to any husband than their own. Though in general they acknowledge that an husband is his wife's superior, yet when the application comes to themselves they fail and cannot be brought to yield that they are their husband's inferiors. This is a vice worse than the former. For to acknowledge no husband to be superior over his wife, but to think man and wife in all things equal may proceed from ignorance of mind and error of judgment. But for a wife who knoweth and acknowledgeth the general that an husband is above his wife, to imagine that she herself is not inferior to her husband ariseth from monstrous self-conceit and intolerable arrogancy as if she herself were above her own sex and more than a woman. Contrary also is the practice of such women as purposely marry men of far lower rank than themselves for this very end, that they may rule over their own husbands, and of others who, being aged, for that end marry use, if not very boys. A mind and practice very unseemly and clean thwarting God's ordinance, but let them think of ruling what they list the truth is, that they make themselves subjects, both by God's law and man's, of which subjection such wives do oft feel the heaviest burden. Solomon noteth this to be one of the things for which the earth is disquieted when a servant reigneth. Now when can a servant more domineer than when he hath married his mistress? As for aged women, who are married to youths, I may say, as in another case it was said, Woe to thee, O wife, whose husband is a child. Unmeet it is that an aged man should be married to a young maid, but much more unmeet for an aged woman to be married to a youth. 7. Of a wife's inward fear of her husband. Hitherto, of a wise acknowledgment of her husband's superiority. It falleth to speak of that answerable respect which she ought to bear towards him. A wife like respect to her husband consisteth in two points. One, reverence. Two, obedience. The reverence which she owes to him is one, inward. Two, outward. Inward reverence is an awful respect which a wife in her heart half of her husband, esteeming him worthy of all honor for his place and all the sake, because he is her husband. Doubtless Sarah had in her heart a reverent respect and honorable esteem of her husband, when being alone and thinking of him in her very thought, 
she gave him this title, Lord. This inward reverence the scripture comprises under this word fear, as where an apostle saith, Let the woman see that she fear her husband, and where Peter exhorteth wives to have their conversation in fear. It is no slavish fear of her husband which ought to possess the heart of a wife, dreading blows, frowns, spiteful words, or the like, but such an awful respect of him as maketh her, to use the apostle's word, care how she may please him. This wife-like fear is manifested by two effects. One is joy, which she giveth contentment to her husband, and observeth him to be pleased with that which she doth. The other is grief, when he is justly offended and grieved, especially with anything that she herself hath done. Unless this inward reverence and due respect of an husband be first placed in the heart of a wife, either no outward reverence and obedience will be performed at all, or if it be performed, it will be very unsound, only in show, hypocritical and deceitful, so that as good never a wit as never the better. For according to one's inward affection and disposition will the outward action and conversation be framed. Michal first despised David in her heart, and thence it followed that she uttered most unreverenced and vile speeches of him even to his face. Wherefore, after the judgment of a wife is rightly informed of an husband's superiority and her will persuaded to account her own husband her head and guide, it is very needful that her heart and affection be accordingly seasoned with the salt of good respect and high esteem, which breedeth fear, and that thus her heart may be seasoned, she ought oft and seriously to meditate of his place and office and of that honor which the Lord by virtue thereof hath planted in him. And if he have gifts worthy his place, as knowledge, wisdom, piety, temperance, love, and the like, she ought to take notice thereof, and to think him worthy of double honor. 8. Of a wife's base esteem of her husband. Contrary to this inward reverence of the heart is a base and vile esteem which many have of their husbands, thinking no better of them than of other men, nay, worse than of others, despising their husbands in their heart, like the cow of whom we heard before. This, as it is in itself a vile vice, so is it a cause of many other vices, as of presumption, rebellion, yea, and of adultery itself many times. And it is also a main hindrance of all duty. It commonly arises either from self-conceit, whereby wives overween their own gifts, thinking them so excellent as they need no guide or head, but are rather fit to guide and rule both her husband and all the household, of which proud and presumptuous spirit Jezebel seemeth to be, who with an audacious and impudent face said to Ahab her husband, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Up, I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth. So also all those wives which are noted to draw away their husbands' hearts from the Lord, as the wives of Solomon, Jehoram, and others, which they learned of their great-grandmother Eve, 
or acts from formal infirmities of mind or body or of life, which they behold in their husbands. Whence it cometh to pass that many husbands are highly honored and greatly accounted of by others, are much despised by their wives, because their wives, always conversing with them, are privy to such infirmities as are concealed from others. Or which is worst of all, from unjust surmises and suspicions, suspecting many evil things of their husbands, whereof they are no way guilty, and misinterpreting and perverting things well done, as Michal perverted David's holy zeal. For redress of this enormous vice, wives ought first in regard of themselves to purge out their heart's pride and self-conceit, thinking humbly and lowly of themselves, and that even in regard of their sex and the weakness thereof, and if the Lord have endued them with any gift above the ordinary sort of women, to note well their own infirmities, and to lay them by their eminent gifts, thus by looking on their black feet, their proud peacock feathers may be cast down. Yea, also, when they behold any infirmities in their husbands, they ought to reflect their eyes on their own infirmities, which it may be are even as many and as grievous, if not more in number and more heinous in their nature and kind. At least let them consider that they are subject to the same if God leaves them to the sway of their own corruption. Secondly, wives ought in regard of their husbands to surmise no evil whereof they have not sure proof and evidence, but rather interpret everything in better part and follow the rule of love, which beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. If they note any defects of nature and deformity of body or any enormous and notorious vices in their husbands, then ought they to turn their eyes and thoughts from his person to his place and from his vicious qualities to his honorable office, which is to be an husband. And this will abate that vile esteem which otherwise might be occasioned from the forenamed means. 9. Of wife-like sobriety. A wife's outward reverence towards her husband is a manifestation of her inward due respect of him. Now then, seeing the intent of the heart and inward disposition cannot be discerned by man simply in itself, that the husband may know his wife's good affection towards him, it is behooveful that she manifest the same by her outward reverence. A wise outward reverence consisteth in her reverent gesture and speech. For the first, that a reverent gesture and carriage of herself to her husband, and in her husband's presence be seen with the wife, was a word implied by the veil which the woman used to put on, when she was brought unto her husband, as is noted in the example of Rebecca. Whereunto the apostle alludeth in these words, the woman ought to have power on her head. That cover on the woman's head is in general, it applies subjection. So in particular, this kind of subjection, a reverent carriage and gesture, but most expressly is this duty set down by St. Peter, who exhorteth wives to order their conversation before their husbands, so as it be pure with reverence. 
This reverend conversation consisted in a wise-like sobriety, mildness, courtesy, and modesty. By sobriety, I mean such a comely, grave, and gracious carriage as giveth evidence to the husband that his wife respecteth his place and the authority which God hath given him. Sobriety in general is required of all women by reason of their sex, and surely it doth well become them all. But much more doth it become wives, most of all in their husbands' presence. The apostle in particular enjoineth it to deacons' wives, yet not so as proper unto them, but in further respect appertaineth to them not only as wives, but as the wives of deacons. Contrary to this sobriety is lightness and wantonness, which vices in a wife, especially before her husband, argue with little respect, if not a plain contempt of him. Objection. Thus shall all delightful familiarity betwixt husband and wife be taken away. Answer. Though the forename sobriety be opposed to lightness and wantonness, yet not to matrimonial familiarity, which is so far permitted to man and wife, as if any other man and woman should be so behaved themselves one towards another as a husband and wife lawfully may, it might justly be counted lightness and sin. And since the example of Isaac and Rebekah, who so sported together as a binwick, knowing them to be such as feared God, gathered by that sporting that they were man and wife, for he thought that otherwise they would not have been so familiar together. This familiarity argueth both liking and love, and showeth that the man and wife delight in each other's person. The lightness here condemned in a wife is not so much a mutual familiarity with her husband, by his good liking as a wanton dallying with others to his grief and disgrace. 10. Of wife-like mildness. Mildness in a wife hath respect also to the ordering of her countenance, gesture, and whole carriage before her husband, whereby she manifested a pleasingness to him and a contentedness and willingness to be under him and ruled by him. Excellently is this set forth in the spouse of Christ whose eyes are said to be as dove's eyes, her lips to drop as honeycombs, and she herself every way pleasant, whereupon it is noted that she appeared to her husband as the bright morning, and that his heart was wounded with her. Assuredly, the clear sky is not more pleasant in time of harvest than a mild and amiable countenance and carriage of a wife in her husband's presence. And though her husband should be of an harsh and cruel disposition, yet by this means might he be made meek and gentle. For the keepers of lines are said to bring them to some tameness by handling them gently and speaking to them fairly. Contrary to this mildness is a frowning brow, a lowering eye, a sighing look, a pouting lip, a swelling face, a deriding mouth, a scornful cast of the arms and hands, a disdainful turning of this side and that side of the body, and a fretful flinging out her husband's preference, all which and other like contemptuous gestures are as thick clouds overspreading the heavens in a summer's day, which maketh it very uncomfortable. They all stir up much passion in the man and bring much mischief upon the wife herself. 11 of wife-like courtesy and obeisance. 
Courtesy is that virtue whereby a wife taketh occasion to testify her acknowledgment of her husband's superiority by some outward obeisance to him. Rebecca, so soon as she saw Isaac, whom she had taken for her husband, lighted from her camel and came to him on foot, which was a kind of obeisance. This is not so to be taken as if no difference were to be made betwixt the carriage of a servant or child and a wife, or as if a wife should bow at every word that she speaketh to her husband. Though in the kind and extent of many duties the same things are required of wives which are required of children and servants, because God hath made them all inferiors and exacted subjection of all, yet in the manner and measure of many duties there is a great difference, as in this, the obeisance of children and servants ought to be more submissive and more frequent. Yet because God hath placed authority in the husband over his wife, she has every way to testify her reverent respect of her husband, and therefore at some times, on some occasions, as when he is going on a journey for a time from her, or when he returneth home again, or when she hath a solemn and great suit to make unto him, or when he offereth an especial and extraordinary favor unto her, or as I have observed such wives as know what beseemeth their place, and are not ashamed to manifest as much, when she sitteth down and riseth up from the table to declare her reverence by some obeisance. This cannot but much work on the heart of a good and kind husband, and make him the more to respect his wife, when he beholdeth this evidence of her respect to him, Yea, it cannot but be a good pattern to children and servants, and a motive to stir them up to yield all, submissive obeisance both to her husband and to herself. For it may make them thus to reason with themselves, shall we scorn or think much to yield, but to our father or master, which her mother or mistress thinketh not much to yield to her husband. Shall she bow to him, and shall not we much more bow to her? Thus a wise honoring of her husband by yielding obeisance to him maketh both him and herself to be more honored of others. Contrarily minded are they who not only altogether omit this duty, but also give and scoff at the very hearing thereof, saying, Thus wives shall be made no better than children or servants. But those scornful dames deride these outward evidences of their subjection Yet such wives as fear the Lord ought not to be hindered thereby from doing their duty. For by such evil examples they might be discouraged from every good duty. It is sufficient that such holy women as trusted in God so behave themselves. But for this particular we know that equal scorn not upon occasions to perform this kind of courtesy is making obeisance one to another. How much less ought wives who are their husbands inferiors? 12. Of wife-like modesty and apparel. Modesty appertaining to a wife is much manifested in her apparel. Paul requires this modesty in general of all sorts of women, but Peter presseth it in particular upon wives, for as it well beseemeth all women, so wives after a peculiar manner, namely in attiring themselves to respect rather their husband's place and state than their own birth and parentage but much rather than their own mind and humor. A wise modesty therefore requires that her apparel be neither for costliness above her husband's ability, nor for curiousness 
unbeseeming his calling. As a poor man's wife must not affect costly apparel, so neither ministers, grave counselors, sage magistrates, no nor conscientious professors' wives hunt after new fashions or in white and garish apparel attire themselves. It is a token of great reverence in a wife towards her husband to have an eye to his place and state in her apparel. On the contrary, such proud dames as must have their own will in their attire and think it nothing appertains to their husbands to order them therein, who care not what their husband's ability or what his place and calling be, they show little respect and reverence to their husbands. Such are they who are no whit moved with their husband's example. But though the man's apparel be plain and grave, yet the wives shall be costly and garish. Yea, many there be that stand in some more awe of their husband's sight, but show little more respect unto him, who have their silken gowns, beaver hats, and other like attire not agreeable to their place and state, lie in the country if they be of the city, or in the city if they be of the country, in a friend's house where their husbands shall not know it, and when their husbands are not with them, wear them and paint their faces, lay out their hair, and in everything follow the fashion. What can they which behold this think, but that such a wife cares more to please other light vain persons than her grave, discreet husband, or that her husband can nothing at all prevail with her, which as it staineth her own credit, so it leaveth a blot of dishonor even upon him. If the care of a wife were to give evidence of the reverence which she bears to her husband, his desire and example would in this respect more prevail with her than the humor of her own heart. 13. Of a wise reverent speech to her husband. As by gesture, so by speech also, must a wise reverence be manifested. This must be answerable to that. For by words as well as by deeds the affection of the heart is manifested. Of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A wise reverence is manifested by her speech, both in her husband's presence and also in his absence. For this end, in his presence, her words must be few, reverent and meek. First few, for the apostle enjoineth silence to wise in her husband's presence, and enforceth that duty with a strong reason in these words. I permit not the women to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. The inference of the latter clause upon the former showeth that he speaketh not only of a woman's silence in the church, but also of a wise silence before her husband, which is further cleared by another like place, where the same apostle enjoineth wives to learn of their husbands at home. The reason before mentioned for silence, on the one side implies a reverent subjection, as on the other side, too, much speech implies a usurpation of authority. Objection. Then be like a wife must be always mute before her husband. Answer. No such matter, for silence in that place is not opposed to speech, as if she should not speak at all, but to loquacity, to talkativeness, to overmuch tattling, her husband's preference must somewhat restrain her tongue and so will her very silence testify a reverent respect. Otherwise silence, as it is opposed to speech, would imply stoutness of stomach and stubbornness of heart, which is an extreme contrary to loquacity. But the meaning betwixt both is for a wife to be sparing in speech, to expect a fit time, 
and just occasion of speech, to be willing to hearken to the word of knowledge coming out of her husband's mouth. This with reverence. Elihu manifested the reverent respect which as a younger he bare to his elders by forbearing to speak while they had anything to say, how much more ought wives in regard both of their sex and of their place. Contrary is their practice who must and will have all the prat. If their husbands have begun to speak, their slippery tongues cannot expect and tarry till he have done. If, as very hasty and forward they are to speak, they prevent not their husbands, they will surely take a tail out of his mouth before he have done. Thus they disgrace themselves and dishonor their husbands. 14. Of the titles which wives give their husbands. As their words must be few, so those few words must be reverent and meek, both which are also implied under the forenamed word silence, which in the original signifieth also quietness. Reverence hath respect to the titles whereby a wife nameth her husband, meekness to the manner of framing her speech to him. For the titles which a wife, in speaking to her husband or naming him, giveth unto him, they must be such as signify superiority and so savor of reverence. Such are the titles wherewith husbands are named in the scripture. They are titles of honor. Such also are the titles which the church, who by our apostle, is made a pattern for wives in all subjection. Give it through a spouse, Christ Jesus, as may be gathered out of the Song of Songs. It is likely that Sarah did usually give this the title Lord to her husband. For having occasion to think of him, presently this title Lord was in her heart, which would not so suddenly have risen up if she had not ordinarily used it. According to the usual titles which we give to any, do we in our hearts name them when we have occasion to think of them. Among all other titles, the name husband, as it is the most usual, so it is the fittest and neatest title. It intimateth reverence, and savoreth not of niceness and singularity, as these titles, head, guide, master, man, and the like do, which though they be lawful titles, because the scripture attributeth them to husbands, and they signify superiority, yet because they are unusual and savor of singularity, they are not so meet. Common use and practice hath made the addition of the husband's surname to this title master, more neat. St. Peter, by this argument, proves that Sarah obeyed Abraham because she called him Lord. Contrary are those compilations which argue equality or inferiority rather than superiority, as brother, cousin, friend, man, and so on. If a stranger be in presence, how can he tell by this manner of compilation that he whom thou speakest unto is thy husband? If he espy any matrimonial familiarity betwixt you, what can he judge of it otherwise to be but lightness and wantonness? Remember the fearful issue that had like to have fallen out by reason of such compilations given by Sarah and Rebekah to their husbands. Not unlike to those are such as these, sweet, sweeting, heart, sweetheart, love, joy, dear, and so on, and such as these, duck, Chick, Pigsney, and so on, and husbands' Christian names as John, Thomas, William, Henry, and so on, which they be contracted, 
as many used to contract them thus, Jack, Tom, Will, and Hall. They are much more unseemly. Servants are usually so called. But what may we say of those titles given to a husband by his wife, not seldom in passion, but usually in ordinary speech, which are not fit to be given to the basest men that be as grub, rogue, and the like, which I am even ashamed to name, but that the sins of women are to be cast as dirt on their faces, that they may be the more ashamed. Objection. Many of the forenamed titles are titles of amity and familiarity. Answer. Subjection is that mark which wives are directed to aim at in their thoughts, words, deeds, and whole conversation towards their husbands. Such tokens of familiarity, as are not with all tokens of subjection and reverence, are unbeseeming a wife because they swerve from that mark. 15. A wise meekness in their speeches. Meekness in a wise manner of framing her speech to her husband doth also commend her reverent respect of him. This is an especial effect of that meek and quiet spirit which Peter requireth of wives, which duty he doth strongly enforce by this weighty argument, which is before God a thing much set by. Is a wise meekness much set by before God, and shall not wives hold it both a bounding duty and comely ornament and grace unto them? As the form of words which a wife useth in asking or answering questions or any other kind of discourse which she holdeth with her husband, so her moderation in persisting, arguing, and pressing matters, yea, and the mild composition of her countenance in speaking, declare her meekness. If she be desirous to obtain anything of him, fairly she must entreat it as the Shunammite. If she would move him to perform a bounden duty, mildly she must persuade him. If she would restrain and keep him from doing that which is evil, even that also she must do with some meekness, as Pilate's wife. If she have occasion to tell him of a fault, therein she ought to manifest humility and reverence by observing a fit season and doing it after a gentle manner as Abigail, who as she wisely behaved herself, in this respect with her husband, in observing a fit season, so also with David, by intimating his fault unto him, rather than plainly reproving him, when she said, It shall be no grief nor offense unto my Lord, that he hath not shed blood causeless. This meekness requireth also silence and patience, even when she is reproved. Contrary is the waspish and shrewish disposition of many wives to their husbands, who care not how hastily and unadvisedly they speak to them, like Rachel, nor how angrily and chidingly like Jezebel, nor how disdainfully and spitefully like Zipporah, nor how scoffingly and thumpingly like Michal, nor how reproachfully and disgracefully like Job's wife. If they be reproved by their husbands, their husbands shall be reproached by them, and they are ready to answer again, not only word for word, but ten for one. Many wives, by their shrewish speeches, show no more respect to their husbands than to their servants, if so much. The least occasion moveth them not only inwardly to be angry and fret against them, but also outwardly to manifest the same by chiding and brawling. The very object whereupon many wives usually spit out their venomous words 
is their husband. When their stomachs are full, they must needs ease them on their husbands, wherein their fault is doubled. But wives therefore learn first to moderate their passion, and then to keep in their tongues with bit and bridle, but most of all to take heed that their husbands taste not of the bitterness thereof. No, not though they should by some oversight of their husbands be provoked. It is to be noted how Solomon called the heirs which are between man and wife the contentions of a wife, whereby he intimateth that she commonly is the cause thereof, either provoking her husband or not bearing with him. 16. Of a wise speech of her husband in his absence. The reverence which a wife beareth to her husband must further be manifested by her speeches of him in his absence. So did Sarah manifest her reverence, and so must all such as desire to be accounted the daughters of Sarah. The church speaking of her spouse doth it with as great reverence as if she had spoken to him. It was for honor and reverence sake that the Virgin Mary called Joseph the father of Jesus when she spake of him. This showeth that a wise reverent speech in preference of her husband and to his face are not in flattery to please him and fawn upon him, but in sincerity to please God and perform her duty. Contrary, therefore, to their duty deal they, who in preference can afford the fairest and meekest speeches that may be to their husband's face, but behind their backs speak most reproachfully of them. 17. Of a wise obedience in general. Hitherto of a wise reverence it followeth to speak of her obedience. The first law that ever was given to a woman since her fall laid upon her this duty of obedience to her husband. In these words, Thy desire shall be to thine husband, and he shall rule over thee. How can an husband rule over a wife if she obey not him? The principal part of that submission which in this text and in other places is required of a wife consisteth in obedience, and therefore it is expressly commended unto wives in the example of Sarah who obeyed Abraham. Thus by obedience doth the church manifest her subjection to Christ. The place wherein God hath set an husband, namely to be an head, the authority which he hath given unto him, to be a lord and master, the duty which he requireth of him, to rule, do all require obedience of a wife. Is not obedience to be yielded to an head, lord, and master? Take away all authority from an husband, if he exempt a wife from obedience. Contrary is the stoutness of such wives as must have their own will, and do what they list, or else all shall be out of quiet. Their will must be done, they must rule and overrule all, they must command not only children and servants, but husbands also, if at least the husband will be at peace. Look into families, observe the estate and condition of many of them, and then tell me if these things be not so. If an husband be a man of courage, and seek to stand upon his right, and maintain his authority by requiring obedience of his wife, strange it is to behold what an hurly-burly she will make in the house. But if he be a milksop, and basely yield unto his wife, and suffer her to rule, then it may be there shall be some outward quiet. The ground hereof is an ambitious and proud humor in women, who must needs rule or else they think themselves slaves. But let them think as they list. Assuredly herein they thwart God's ordinance, pervert the order of nature, deface the image of Christ, 
overthrow the ground of all duty, hinder the good of the family, become an ill pattern to children and servants, lay themselves open to Satan, and incur many other mischiefs which cannot but follow upon the violating of this main duty of obedience, which, if it be not performed, how can other duties be expected? 18. Of the cases wherein a wife hath power to order things of the house without her husband's consent. A wife's obedience requires submission and contentment. Submission in yielding to her husband's mind and will. Contentment in resting satisfied and content with his estate and ability. That submission consisteth in two things. First, in abstaining from doing things against her husband's mind. Secondly, in doing what her husband requires. The former of these requires that a wife have her husband's consent for the things which she doth, for the better clearing whereof we are to consider. 1. What kind of husbands they must be whose consent is required? 2. How many ways his consent may be given? 3. What are the things whereabout his consent is to be expected? For the first, as on the one side, it oft falleth out that a wife, provident and religious man, is married to a foolish woman, a very idiot, that hath no understanding, of whom there can be no question, but that such a wife is to do nothing of herself and of her own head, but altogether to be ordered by her husband. So on the other side, it oft falleth out that a wife, virtuous and gracious woman, is married to a husband destitute of understanding, to a very natural, as we say, or a frenzy man, or to one made very blockish and stupid, unfit to manage his affairs through some distemper, wound, or sickness. In such a case, the whole government lieth upon the wife, so as her husband's consent is not to be expected. Question. What if the husband be a wicked and profane man, and so blinded and stupefied in his soul, doth not this spiritual blindness and blockishness give a religious wife as great liberty as natural stupidity? Answer. No, verily. For Peter exhorted faithful wives that were married to infidel husbands to be subject to them and that in fear. The reason is clear. For spiritual blindness disableth not from civil government. Indeed, nothing that such a man doth is acceptable to God or available to his own salutation but yet it may be profitable to man. A wicked man may be provident enough for wife, children, and whole family in outward temporal things. Again, it all falls out that an husband is a long time far off absent from the house, sometimes by reason of his calling as an ambassador, soldier, or mariner, sometimes also carelessly or willingly neglecting house, goods, wife, children, and all, and in his absence hath left no order for the ordering of things at home. In this case also there is no question but that the wife hath power to dispose matters without her husband's consent, provided that she observe those rules of God's word concerning justice, equity, truth, and mercy, which an husband in his disposing of them ought to observe. The first of these cases declareth an impotency in the husband, the other an impossibility for him to order matters. Wherefore, the wife being next to the husband, the power of ordering things is devolved on her. She is not bound to have his consent. 19. Of diverse kinds of consent. A consent may be general or particular. A general consent is given 
when without distinct respect to this or that particular, liberty is granted to a wife by her husband to do all things that seemeth good in her own eyes. That excellent good wife and notable good housewife that is set forth by the wife man had such a consent. For first it is said that the heart of her husband trusteth in her, and that it is inferred that she ordereth all things of the house, whereof many particulars are there specified. Whence I gather that her husband observing her to be a godly, wife, faithful, and industrious woman, gave her power and liberty to do in the household affairs what she thought good, he being a public magistrate, for he was known in the gates, fitting among the elders of the land, and accordingly she used her liberty. A particular consent is that which is given to one or more particular things, as that consent which Abraham gave to Sarah about Hagar, and that which Elkanah gave to Hannah about tearing at home till her child was weaned. This particular consent may be expressed or implied. An expressed consent is when the husband manifested his good liking by word, writing, message, or sign, and that whether his consent be asked, as is noted in the example of Elkanah, or freely offered. An implicit consent, when by any probable conjecture, it may be gathered that the husband's will is not against such a thing, that he have not manifested his mind concerning that very particular. This implicit consent may be gathered either by his silence when he is present to see a thing done, or otherwise hath knowledge thereof, or elsewhere he is absent by his former carriage or disposition in other like cases. The scripture accounteth an husband's silence when he knoweth a thing and may, but doth not forbid it to be a consent, as in the case of a wise vow. For anything we read to the contrary, the Shunammite hath no other consent to prepare a chamber for the prophet, and to go unto him than her husband's silence, and not forbidding it when he knew it. As for the other kind of implicit consent, it may be set forth in this following instance. Suppose a wife hath an husband whom she knoweth by his former carriage and disposition to be a pitiful and charitable man, taking all occasions to show mercy, and in his absence there falleth out a fit and needful occasion of showing mercy. If she take that occasion to show mercy, she hath an implicit consent, for she may well think that if her husband knew it, he would approve what she doth. It is to be supposed that Anna upon some such ground vowed her child to God, for it is not likely that she who would not tarry at home to wean her child without her husband's consent would much less vow him to the Lord, which was a far greater matter, without some persuasion of her husband's good liking thereof. Now that a wife may show she dealeth uprightly in this case upon a true persuasion of her heart concerning her husband's mind, she ought when conveniently she can, to make known to her husband what she hath done, as without all question Anna did, and so much may be gathered out of these words which Elkanah uttered to Anna, the Lord establish his word. 20. Of the things whereabout a wife must have her husband's consent. The things whereabout a husband's consent is to be expected are such as he by virtue of his place and authority hath power to order as, for example, ordering and disposing the goods, 
cattle, servants, and children of the family, entertaining strangers, yea, also ordering even his wives going abroad, and making of vows with the like. Now then, distinctly to lay down a wife's duty in this first branch of obedience, it is this. A wife must do nothing which appertains to her husband's authority simply without, or directly against his consent. Do not these words of that of Allah, thy desire shall be to thy husband, imply as much? I deny not but that there may be sundry things proper and peculiar to a wife, wherein I will not restrain her liberty. And therefore I use this phrase, which appertaineth to her husband's authority. And I grant the forename general and implicit consent to be a true consent, so as there needeth not an express particular consent for everything. And therefore I have added these clauses, simply without or directly against consent. That is done simply without consent, which is done without all want from the husband, and that so covertly as she is afraid it should come to his notice, imagining he would by no means like it, as Rachel's taking her father's idols without all consent of Jacob. That is done directly against consent, which is expressly forbidden and disclaimed by the husband. But to descend to the particulars before mentioned, first concerning the goods of the family, it is a question controverted whether the wife have power to dispose them without or against the husband's consent. Before I determine the question, I think it needful to declare, one, what goods, two, what occasion of giving the question is about. 21. Of the things which a wife may dispose without her husband's consent. 1. For the goods, some are proper and peculiar to the wife, others are common. Goods proper to the wife are such as before marriage she herself or her friends expect from the husband to her soul and proper use and disposing, whereunto he also yieldeth, or such as after marriage he giveth unto her to dispose as she please. Suppose it be some rent, annuity, fees, veils, or the like. These kinds of goods are exempted out of the question in hand. The wife hath liberty to dispose them as she please without any further consent than she had by virtue of her husband's former grant. To these I may refer other goods, but of another nature, namely such as some friend of hers, suppose her father, mother, brother, or any other, observing her husband to be a very hard man, not allowing sufficient for herself, much less to distribute on charitable uses, shall give unto her to dispose as she please, charging her not to let her husband know thereof. Now because it is in the power of a free donor to order his gift as he please, and because he so ordered this gift as he will not have her husband know of it, I doubt not that she may of herself, according to the donor's mind, without her husband's consent, dispose such goods. She is herein but as a Sophie in trust. Again, of common goods, some are set forth by the husband to be spent about the family, other he reserveth for a stock, or to lay forth as he himself shall see occasion. Concerning those which are set forth to be spent, I doubt not but that the wife hath power to dispose them, neither is she bound to ask any further consent of her husband, for it is a wise place and duty to guide or govern the house, by virtue whereof 
providing sufficiently for the family, she may, as she seeth, good occasion, of such goods as are set apart to be spent, distribute to poor or otherwise. This I have noted for such tender consciences as think they cannot give a bit of bread or scrap of meat to a poor body or make a mess of broth or coddle for a sick body except they first ask their husband's consent. Provided that if her husband expressly forbid this liberty, she take it not except necessity require it. But our question is concerning such goods as the husband hath not set apart, but reserveth to his own disposing. 22. Of a wife's liberty in extraordinary matters. For the occasion of disposing goods, it may be ordinary or extraordinary. Extraordinary for the good of the husband himself and others in the family, or such as are out of the family. If there fall out an extraordinary occasion whereby the wife, by disposing the goods without or against the consent of her husband, may bring a great good to the family, or prevent and keep a great mischief from it, she is not to stay for his consent. Instance the example of Abigail. Thus a faithful, provident wife, observing her husband to riot, and to spend all he can get in carding, dicing, and drinking, may without his consent lay up what good she can for her husband, her own, her children's, and whole household's good. This is no part of disobedience, but a point wherein she may show herself a great good help unto her husband, for which end a wife was first made. Concerning such as are out of the family, if they be in great need and require present release, Though the wife know her husband to be so hard-hearted as he will not suffer her to relieve such an one, yet without his consent she may relieve him. The ground of this and other like cases is that rule laid down by the prophets and by Christ himself, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. If God in case of mercy dispenseth with a duty due to himself, will he not much more dispense with a duty due to an husband? 23. Of a wise restraint in disposing goods without consent of her husband, and of the ground of that restraint. Out of all these things thus premised, I gather the true state of the question in controversy concerning the power of wives in disposing the goods of the family to be this, whether a wife may privily or simply without or openly and directly against her husband's consent distribute such common goods of the family as her husband reserveth to his own disposing, there being no extraordinary necessity? The most ancient and common answer unto this question hath been negative, namely that a wife hath not power so to do, whereunto I for my part subscribe. The ground of this answer is taken from that primary law of the wife's subjection, thy desire shall be unto thine husband. How is her desire subject to her husband if the case propounded she stand not upon his consent? It is further confirmed both by the forenamed and also by all other proofs that might be produced out of the scripture concerning the subjection of wives unto their husbands. If in ordering the goods of the family she yield not subjection, wherein shall she yield it? Against this groundwork, some object that the same law of subjection is opposed upon a younger brother in the very same words, and yet a younger brother was not thereby bound to have his elder brother's consent in disposing his goods. Answer. 
the law of the legality, as I may so speak, and preeminency of the firstborn was under those words ordained, and therefore a younger brother was made a subject to his elder while he remained in the family, as a son to the father. The elder brother was as a lord over his other brothers, whereupon when Isaac conferred the right of the firstborn upon Jacob, thinking he had been his eldest son Esau, he used these words, Be lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Which being so, questionless the younger brother might not simply without or directly against the elder brother's consent to dispose the goods of the family. So as this objection more strongly establishes the forenamed argument. Again it is objected that that old law is to be expounded of weighty matters. Answer. The apostle who is guided by the spirit of the lawmaker extended that law to everything. But it is not this matter of disposing goods a weighty matter. The consequences which I shall bind by note to follow hereupon will show it to be a matter of moment. 24. Of the example of the Shunammite in asking her husband's consent. As another reason may be alleged, the Shunammite's pattern who asked her husband's consent before she prepared the things that were thought meet for the prophet's entertainment and before she used the things which were meet for her journey. Objection. It is indeed commendable for wives to seek their husband's consent as she did, but where such consent cannot be had, it is not necessary. Answer. This example being grounded upon a law, as we showed before, it doth not only declare what may be done, but also what ought to be done. And if a wife be bound to have her husband's consent for doing of a thing, by consequence it followeth that she is bound from doing it, without her husband's consent. Second answer. They that accept against this reason taken from example use themselves the like reason in other points, as the examples of Abigail, Joanna, and Susanna, for the contrary. Second objection. In the Shunammite's example, there is more than a merciful release of the prophet, namely bringing him into the house to diet and to lodge, wherein the husband must have a chief stroke. Answer. The word of God maketh not that difference betwixt relieving and entertaining. It extendeth a wife's subjection to everything. Wherefore, the husband hath a chief stroke as well in the one as in the other. 25. Of the law of a wise vow. A third reason is taken from the law of a wise vow, whereby in general is implied that a wife might not make a vow without her husband's consent, whence it followeth as an argument taken from the greater to the less, that she may not dispose of goods without his consent. Yea, the law further expressly saith that though she hath vowed, yet her husband hath power to disannul her vow. Note here how the Lord will rather depart from his own right, as I may so speak, than have that order which he hath appointed betwixt man and woman broken. The Lord's right was to have what was vowed to him performed. The order which he appointed was to have the wife subject to her husband, rather than the wife should do that which the husband would not have done. The Lord remitted a wise vow in case her husband would not consent to have it performed. Now then, I demand, is the disposing of goods a greater matter than the performing of a vow, 
or hath a wife in these days more liberty than in the former? If she have, by what law? Was there ever under the law a stated charge laid upon wives than this, but wives be subject to their husbands in everything? Please continue listening on tape 2.